0: We started a series last week on the life of Abraham and really are just getting started. We looked at the genealogy at the end of Genesis 11 last week. So we're going to pick up in the very next passage, the beginning of Genesis chapter 12. And something that we make a concerted effort to be aware of is that there's not one level of biblical background or knowledge in the room. There's just really the spectrum. Some folks... Here have grown up with it, very biblically taught, biblically literate. Some brand new, almost to everything. So, so all that to say, I don't want to stand up here and refer to this and that without explaining as we go. But I bet, even if you don't have a lot of Bible background, you've probably heard the term the Promised Land. You heard that term, the Promised Land, or some, something might be likened to the Promised Land. And of course, the reference of the Promised Land is to the land occupied first by the Canaanites, the land of Canaan. And when God brings His people out of slavery in Egypt and through the wilderness, they enter into the land of promise. When was it first promised? It actually was first promised in the passage that we're about to read. And it's, it's, it's hard to, to overstate how critical this passage is not just to the rest of Genesis, but you could say that the rest of Genesis and the books that follow, Exodus, Leviticus, but really the whole of Scripture is unpacking things that God says to Abram, he hasn't changed his name yet to Abraham, things that he's saying in this passage. So, let's, let's give our attention to Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, To the oak of Moray. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we're gathered in your Son's name, not in our name, we remember that when he would see the crowds, even when he was exhausted and could have used rest, that he would have compassion on them and he would see them as sheep without a shepherd. And Lord, we want to say that, Lord Jesus, you are our shepherd. We have a shepherd, but we still act like those sheep. So we pray that this morning as we're on this corner, you would have compassion on us. And speak into our hearts by your holy word. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, in, in one of my early years here as a, as a pastor, I was meeting with a church member downtown one, uh, one morning in a coffee house. And the tables in this coffee house were fairly close. So I'm, I'm looking over at the church member over here. And my elbow is just almost to the elbow of the, of the next person table having coffee. And I can't remember what led to this conversation, but we were talking about suffering in this life and waiting. I'm sure the person was going through some kind of suffering. And I made the comment that, you know, that's how this life is. This world is full of suffering. But one of these days, we're going to live in the new earth. And that suffering will stop. Now, pause, biblical background. The new earth, that's something that you come to not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament. Isaiah talks about it. Revelation talks about it, that heaven ultimately comes to earth and where God's people live with him is not an ethereal other dimension, but on the new earth. It's new, but it's earth and earthy and we live with him. Body and soul, we live with him. So I was talking about that and then the suffering ends. But when I said that to the person sitting across from me, and I promise I'm not making this up, out of the corner of my eye, I saw the left hand of the person about to take a sip of coffee go, And I I know why that happened, because they were within earshot of our conversation. And I'm talking about one day we will live in the new earth, and no one will suffer. And it must have sounded like we will meet Gandalf, (laughs) and we will sail to the gray havens and be with the elves forever. Yeah, I meant to say this before I even read the passage. When God comes to Abram in this text, and and if you didn't hear last week, I really would actually love for you to listen on the podcast to the sermon last week, not because of how great the sermon was, but to get the background of God is talking to a man who is 75 years old. You think you might be a little bit set in your ways by the time you're 75? And he, he grew up in paganism. We talked about that. There's not a lot of detail, but the scriptures refer to he grew up in a pagan culture with a pagan dad. He didn't grow up going to vacation Bible school. And he and his wife, as we said last week, they have hit a brick wall of infertility. And God is coming to him saying, Oh, you're going to end up being the headwaters of an entire people. It does sound otherworldly. It sounds over the top. And what I want to say to you is, if if we are going to know the God that is revealed in Scripture, we have to understand that it always involves living by faith. Now, there's lots of terms in Scripture that we wish were defined and they're not defined. Faith is one of the few terms that is actually defined in Scripture. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction of things not seen. And you know how it is. Like, Do we just want to go through life hoping and not seeing? Just trusting, taking somebody's word? No, we don't. And the supernatural thing that God calls people to is to know Him through faith. That there are these things that God is going to do that are presently unseen. For Abram, they're They're unbelievable not just big, they seem unbelievable. This is the DNA of knowing God as fallen human beings. So, let's look at at two things. The Lord speaking and Abram responding, all right? Or we might say the, the blesser speaking and the blessed one responding. First, the Lord speaking Uh, it's hard for us to appreciate because we're just kind of parachuting into this part of Genesis how long it's been since humanity really heard from God in this particular way. I came across uh, uh, this great statement. This is by a Jewish scholar named Nahum Sarna who wrote a work on Genesis. And listen to how he says this. The divine silence that persisted for ten generations is shattered. The voice that first set creation in motion and and that when last heard by man brought a message of hope and blessing. He's talking about God talking to Noah. That voice resounds once more. It's such a great way to put it that after ten generations, that's that's longer than there's been a United States. After ten generations, God speaks in this particular way to this man. And in the same way that before creation, there was no one else who could do anything. It had to be the initiation of God with His voice. In the same way that now as this plan for the people of God and redemption, an entire new people, it it doesn't begin with something that they do. It begins with God's voice. Now, what does the Lord say? I want you to think about a couple of things here. He talks about the future and He talks about the present. The future and the present. I don't know if you noticed how many times when the Lord starts talking to Abram, He says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I shall. The future. What does He say about the future? He says, your future is full of blessing. I'm going to make you the human example of what a blessed human being looks like. What what are the blessings? What, What does it involve? Now, I've seen people say there's two here that there's three here, that there's five here. We're going to be hitting on these themes all through this series, Lord willing. But let let me hit on two biggies. Descendants and land. Descendants and land. Now, we talked about this last week, but let me say it again. Abram is 75 years old. His wife is 65 years old. She can't have a baby. Now that is painful in any culture, but it is devastating in her cultural setting. And God is saying, no, you're not going to have one or even two. An entire people will come from you. I will make of you a great nation from you and Sarah. Now understand, friends, that 20 years after this, I'm I'm, I'm going ahead here a bit, but 20 years from this, that child that is really from Abram and Sarah hasn't arrived yet. And the Lord says, trust me, I'm going to make all these descendants come from you. He also says, I'm going to give you this land. It's the land of the Canaanites. Now, I have to be honest with you, when I used to read this passage And I don't know why this is. I don't know if it was like storybook picture Bibles that got in my brain from when I was five years old. But I kind of pictured God almost like father-son with Abram just looking out over pastures and hills saying, you know, son, one day all this will be yours. Kind of Lion King. And the problem with that, besides the lions, is that Canaan is occupied It is occupied by true, straight-up paganism and pagans. And just to give you a snapshot, there's a passage in one of the later books of Moses and it lists these laws against all these awful acts of violence and idolatry and perversion, things like child sacrifice. The Lord prohibits those in the lives of His people, but at the end He says, the nations that I'm sending you into this place, they do all these things. So don't picture like the shire. A lot of wickedness. And God says, where that's going on where people don't know me and they don't worship me and they're not wanting people who follow me to come in here, I'm going to give you all this land. Now that's your future. Uh, what about the present? What does God say? Verse 1. Now, the Lord said to Abram, go. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, go from everything that you know and everything that's familiar into the unknown. Now, we don't like that at 25. Try that at 75. Um, Go to the land that I will show you. I'll show you when you get there. Like, if, if, you, if you hired a personal trainer to do workouts, and let's say your personal trainer was going to have you do burpees. If you don't know what a burpee is, uh, it was an exercise invented by the dark side. <laughs> now, would you rather have a trainer say, all right, I want you to do 20 burpees for time, or, or would you like a trainer to say, all right, do burpees and I'll tell you when to stop? Uh, you're fired. Okay, I, I need to, I, I want to know when and where and when this stops and when we get there. And God says, go, leave everything that's familiar to you, and I will tell you when you're there. Leave what's known and go to the unknown. Now, friends, th- th- this is so huge in Scripture that I, I, I don't know how to adequately convey it. But let's start here our present cravings <clears throat> excuse me our present cravings are god's future gifts our present cravings are god's future gifts what do human beings crave if we're honest like if we actually break through our shyness to say out loud what we really desire in our hearts i want the body of an immortal I'm not being sarcastic. I want a body that pulsates with life and health and doesn't deteriorate and feels good. I want bliss. I don't want little just pops of happiness here and there mixed with all this grind and sadness and loss. Every time I get happy, the shoe drops. I don't want that anymore. I want uninterrupted bliss. I want to go home. I want to be home. I don't want to be any longer where I'm not home. And I want to know that I'm home. And, if I'm honest, I want to live by sight. I want to see everything that I have and know. I want to be able to see it. That is the Those things are the very things that God says that he will give to his people. But he doesn't say it will happen in this life. He says, if that is what your heart craves, number one, I made you to crave all those things. Number two, it's the very thing that I intend to give you, but I will give it to you. Here's a diagnostic question for all of us. Do we, if we're honest, do we recoil from God saying, I will do this? Do we recoil from that because, hey, future smoocher, do it now and show it to me now and then it's real. Over and over and over, the God that's revealed in Scripture says, trust me and I will. And you know, and again, this is all of us. I'm not talking down to any of... uh, This is our common human condition. When we hit real pain points this anger can well up within us. God, why are you letting me be confused or letting me hurt or letting me be displaced or letting me be off kilter? I thought you cared. What do we mean by care? We mean let me feel and experience and have right now by sight what I want right now. God says, trust me. I will do all those things for you he said that to Abram. Um, How does Abram respond? How does the blessed one respond? And let's think about a couple of things he does in response. The first one is, Abram obeys what he knows. I'm saying that very intentionally. There's all this stuff he doesn't know. When will the first child come? How many children will Sarah have? How would I live in a land occupied by people that don't love you or want me there? What will my descendants be like? When will I die? How much of this will I see? doesn't know. So what does he know? Go. What does he do? Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. One of the best pieces of wisdom that I know of, and it's not original to me. I don't think it was original to the person who said it to me. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. It's so simple, it's profound. When you don't know what to do, do what you know to do. When is all this going to happen, God? Where is the land going to be? How is it going to work out? I don't know. What do I know? Go. Go. So he goes. Uh, Man, when we hit transitions especially, there's a lot that we don't know, isn't there? Uh, Some of you just finished a school year, and you're going to go from elementary to middle school. Or from middle school to high school. Or from high school to college. Or from college to out of college. From unemployment to employment. Or God has just moved you to a new town. I just met somebody that just moved here recently. Or you're moving away from Greenville. Or you're moving from singleness to marriage. Or you're moving from marriage to divorce. But there's transition. Every time we come to a transition, doesn't it dial up? Lord, I need to know more here. What will this be like? Will they like me? Doesn't matter if it's middle school, an office will they like me? Will I have friends? Will I be okay? A year from today, will I be happier than I am now or more sad than I am right now? How long will I live? When will I die? God doesn't reveal those things. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children. So what does God reveal in our transitions, in our displacement? Love me. Know me. Fear me. Do not put any God before me. Trust me. And love your neighbor. I had a great conversation with one of our uh, high schoolers, after a, after a service a few months ago, and I, I said to her, I'm not saying it was great because I said it. It's just, I it was great to get to talk about this. Anyway, there's this awesome thing I said, and, and it goes like this. <laughs> now, I, I said to her, I, I wish when I had been in your age and in your grade, I wish this had just been on the front burner of my mind of, you can't control how people respond to you. You can't respond who's going to like you back in school. How the popular person responds or how the bully responds or how the like, outlier that no one knows how to talk to responds. You can't control those things. God doesn't hold you accountable to control those things. What does God tell you to do? Love the person in front of you. Love the person in front of you and let that shake out the way God wants it to. That we know. And it's funny because we say like, oh God, show me what to do here. He has shown us what to do. Love him. And love your neighbor. And trust me with all the details you wish you knew. Uh, Obeys what he knows. Abram does one other thing. At least. He worships the blesser. Let me read you verses 7 and 8. And I'm going to insert a little side note between 7 and 8. But look at verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram. And that means visibly appeared. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now, an Old Testament scholar named Derek Kidner pointed this out, and I'd never noticed it, and I just think it's so good. He says, look in verse 8 at the juxtaposition of pitching The temporary and building permanence. Verse 8, from there Abram moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram and all his company set up tents, broke down tents, set up tents, broke down tents moved 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 did you hear all the verbs of motion in this text abram went lot went he departed they set out to go to the land of canaan abram passed through he moved to the hill country abram journeyed on still going toward the negeb motion 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 set up tear down what's the building structures he left behind in canaan altars for what calling on the name of the Lord what is calling on the name of the Lord relating to him now that might sound like oh okay I I know about that understand that the way the human heart naturally treats deity is to use deity to try to manipulate deity so like what does the God want sacrifice a goat um, throw the pinch of incense in the fire, visit the temple, walk around something, statue in the house, cool, I'll do it. I'll do that for my God. I want my God to do this for me. It's transactional. Like I heard one church historian say this, in Greece, there were no Zeusians. You didn't relate to Zeus. You worshiped Zeus, and hopefully Zeus did good things for you. Abram builds altars. In the midst of a pagan culture. As if to say this is an outpost of sanity. Because what this land and what this earth was made for. Is to be inhabited by people who know God. And love him. And relate to him. And know his love. And worship him. And so God I'm going to do that right here. And he builds altars. In Canaan. Now. It's hard enough to do that when you're comfortable and you're getting what you want and you can kind of see what you need to see and know what you need to know. But, man, when you're off balance and God throws some confusion into your life, it's hard to make an altar, isn't it? And that's the very time that we need to to get on our knees and say, I, I don't know what you're doing here. And, frankly, some of it hurts but you are God, and I am not. And I'll trust you. Um, let me uh, let me summarize, and then make a final point. So you've got the Lord zeroing in on this particular man, not because of anything in him. Could have zeroed in on his brother Nahor. He doesn't. He zeros in on Abram, and he says to this man, "Leave your home." Uh, Leave your people, leave your father's house, leave what's familiar. I will bless you, and I'll make you a blessing to the ends of the earth. I'll make you a blessing to the families of the earth. Now, this is early in the Bible, but as you read the rest of the Bible, it, it actually indicates that an exchange, something like that, happened before this. But you have to keep reading the Bible to know about it. And it's an interaction that happened actually before creation. Before there was molecule number one. The scriptures indicate that God the Father in some way said to God the Son, Son, leave your home. Leave my house. Leave our house. And go where I'll send you. And I will curse you. And I will make you a curse. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians that the great fulfillment of this offspring of Abram, this seed of Abram, who would be the blessing, is not so much a particular nation or group, even the Israelites themselves, but it's Abram's great descendant, the Lord Jesus, Son of God, and truly man in one person. Jesus comes and He becomes a curse. Why would He become a curse? Because if God in His justice gave us what we deserve for all our hard-heartedness and rebellion and self-absorption and the wicked things we do, We would be cursed because God is holy and just. But he makes his son a curse so that all the blessings that not only we crave, but that Jesus deserves might flow to us. Jesus came here. He left his home. He left his father's home and became a curse And then went back home. So Jesus is not a suffering servant anymore. Jesus lives in the bliss now. Jesus is home at the Father's right hand where he should be. Jesus has an immortal body that cannot be killed or suffer. And you might say he lives by sight. He's there. He calls us to follow him. Jesus says to all of us, every person in this room, follow me. If we follow Jesus where he is, where will, future tense, where will we end up? In the bliss. The immortal body that I crave that can't deteriorate or hurt. Home. Living by sight and seeing everything I possess and want to know. That's where he is. That's where he wants us to be with him. But where are we now? We're in, we're the exiles and strangers now passing through, having to live by faith, not by sight. Christ calls you and I to follow him in that journey. This is the normal Christian life. And here's the thing I know that our hearts hate displacement. But here's my exhortation to us. Go ahead and make friends with it. You are fellowshipping in the sufferings of Christ. And that can mean everything from one of our families going to Burundi. So grandparents don't get to be at awards days and birthdays because this family goes to Burundi or this family goes to Scotland. Are they better than anybody? No. But that's that's reality. It can look like Instead of just circling up with my peeps right after worship to look around and welcome. It can look like just when our community group got awesome, they want to split, I mean multiply, and spread out. It can mean next church plant where somebody comes to you that, you know, you love seeing here, and they say, I think we're going to go with the church plant. And you'll just think, Ugh. I know I'm not supposed to be upset, but I'm upset. Because I just want to have our thing here. The people of earth cannot know the God of Abraham. The people of earth cannot know the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ unless the people of God are displaced and spread out and obey Him and make their altars and live by faith, not by sight. So be displaced. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, please help us as we've heard your word. We said it last week, we'll say it again, we don't want to live by faith. We want to live by sight. Help us in our unbelief, Lord. Help us when you displace us to go where you would have us go. Lord Jesus, how we thank you that you left home and left your father's house and became a curse that the blessings might come even to us. Please enable us to entrust the whole of our lives to you, to live by faith. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.